This is David Tarkington, lead pastor at First Family. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, go to firstfam.org or check out my blog at davidtarkington.com. Turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a paper Bible, open up your phone, download the app, go to our website, do version. look to somebody that may have it memorized, find it. Luke 24. We'll get to it in just a second. Luke 24. This is uh, Easter Sunday. We're glad you're here. Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate today what we celebrate every time we gather. And that is exactly what the song is proclaimed, that Jesus is alive. And that's why we're here today. And so I've given you time to find that scripture. In the meantime, let me ask this question. Have you heard the story about the kid from Arkansas that found a rock? It was in the news about a month ago. Anybody hear this story? True story. Because... You know, why not? Why not tell true stories? So this kid in Arkansas, um, Arkansas is known for a lot of things, but if you've ever seen an Arkansas license plate, you'll notice there's an emblem in the center of that license plate above where I think it says natural state still. Do you know what that emblem is? It's not a hog. Go figure. Thought it would be. Any idea what that logo is on the center of the state? It's a diamond. It's a diamond. Maybe you didn't know this, but there is one diamond mine in the United States. And it's in Arkansas. And so uh, in earlier this year, I know I said Arkansas, and I know you're thinking it's a joke because I'm about to, I'm not, there's no jokes. And my wife's here, she's going, what are you going to say about Arkansas? Pam Lamb's going, what's he going to say about Arkansas? I could see this, right? No, but Arkansas is the only place in the U.S., only state, uh, I think the only one in the North American continent that has a diamond mine, an active diamond mine. So uh, it's a state park, and here's what happened earlier this year. Uh, there was a, a kid named Kal-El, no joke, his name is Kal-El. For some of you, that doesn't mean anything. But for nerds like me that had a drawer full of comic books, you know who Kal-El is. Who is it? That's Superman's real name. All right, so now we've gone into fake news. But we're going to get back to the real story. So Superman's name is Kal-El, and so this kid's name is Kal-El Langford. And uh, he uh, and his family stopped by the diamond mine, and he found the seventh largest diamond ever found there at the park since it was established and opened to the public in 1972. He found a 7.44 carat diamond. Ooh. Yeah? That's that's about half what all of us men, that's about half the size of the diamond we gave our wives, right? So, you can kind of relate there. So, uh, 7.44 carat. State park, here's how it's set up. It's a state park. People can pull into the park and they, you know, they go in and with the dream of finding a diamond. Now, you know, as well as I know, that 99.99% of the people that go there looking for a diamond do not find a diamond. They buy a t-shirt that says they went there. They get the magnet for the fridge. They get the hat pin. They get all the souvenirs. Most of them do not find diamonds at all, but they do exist. And, um, and so here's the story as it was uh, in the news. Uh, here's the quote from Langford. He says it was just a, uh, Cal-El Langford, says it was just a few inches from the stream of water. A bunch of other rocks were there. They're all about the same size. So I picked it up. He has called it, the reporter said. He has named it. Guess what he names it? The Superman Diamond. So that's proof that the kid's named after Superman. So he named it the Superman Diamond, and here's what he said to the reporter. He plans to keep it as a souvenir of his trip. See, I say, I read that, that's what I thought. I thought they asked the 12-year-old what he's going to do with it. I think I'm going to keep it. They didn't ask the parents. What are you going to do with that seven-carat diamond? 
I don't think he's going to keep it. All right. Um, <coughs> so Craig is the father. Excuse me. And Craig says this. And then this is how it always is. He says, you know, we stopped at the park. We were only there about 30 minutes, and he found this rock. I mean, you know. You know there are people that go there every day. You know there are. Spend hours after hour looking for a rock. And some kid named Superman gets out of the car and goes, well, look at there. And picks up a rock. And then he's got a seven-carat diamond. Story goes on. Its color was so dark that we weren't even sure if it was a diamond, but we knew we needed to have it looked at. So they went to the park uh, ranger there, Wayman Cox, and he described the diamond as the size of a pinto bean, and it looks like a coffee bean. It's similar in color to coffee, so it's a brown diamond. Uh, I'm doing online search. I'm going, how much is a 7.44 carat diamond worth? It's worth a college education. There's your answer. I looked it up. That kid is not keeping that Superman diamond on the shelf. I promise you that. I promise that. So... The, the uh, Cox, the ranger, says, it was a, a truly extraordinary find. It was Kal-El's dream to visit the crater of Diamond State Park. I'd get a better dream, Kal-El. But anyway, he did. And now he will always be a part of the park's remarkable history. So it's the seventh law. That's a pretty cool story. That's a true story. It was in uh, Arkansas this year. You can look it up. Kid, and he's got pictures of him holding his, looks like a coffee bean, but it's a seven-carat diamond. And now he's newsworthy. And why is it newsworthy? It's newsworthy because a seemingly average, everyday, normal person shows up at a seemingly average, everyday state park and walks away with something of great value that you hoped you would find, but you really didn't believe would happen. But he found it. Yesterday, we hosted that egg hunt over at, um, at uh, Swimming Pen Creek at our Orange Park South Campus at Creek Campus. And like I said, 5,600 eggs or so, almost 6,000 eggs. We had uh, 300-plus kids. And so once, uh, once the event began at 11, we had the barbecue. Great barbecue, Terry, by the way. We had the barbecue. We had live music. We had games. We had face painting. Had the bounce house. I just like watching kids come around the corner of the school carrying their little baskets. And I mean, it was like 8 out of 10. I'm like, there's a bounce house. It's the most amazing thing. Inflatable, dangerous, insurance doesn't cover it, bounce house, and you can make a kid happy, happy for hours. And so they're going, when are we hunting eggs? Where are we hunting eggs? Well, you know, we're gonna, we want to have these games. We want to talk about Jesus a little bit. So Drace Lavanderos uh, gave a message, and then at about 12.15 or 12.20, we said, all right, we're going to line up for eggs. And as soon as we said we're going to line up for eggs, everybody just <laughs> moved over to the field. Now, hidden eggs, quote-unquote hidden. It's a flat field. You have 6,000 eggs. You have one little area for the preschooler or the younger kids, which we separated. There's really not a hiding. It's more of the, the great chicken just laid these eggs, and, and, and you're going to go find them. But they all line up on the edge. Some of you were there, so they all line up. And as soon as we say go, like I said, two hours of hiding, two, eight, two minutes of finding. Boom, it's done. And, and, and I'm watching kids as they're coming off, and they're fine. Oh, I found an egg. Like it was a, difficult. Um, so I'm sorry. Sorry. We celebrate our children. Woo, way to go. <laughs> you picked out an hobby. It's fine. But they, had, but they had so many that, you know, you had kids with these bags. They were just overflowing. And they're all plastic eggs because uh, we're, I don't like boiled eggs. That's why we did that. And I'm thinking, if they're plastic eggs, then they don't smell, and you don't have to paint them, and, um, and if you don't use them, you can use them next year, and, you know, 
and you can put candy in them. And who wants, I mean, candy versus boiled egg? Come on. Uh, and then we prayed about it. What would Jesus do? And that's what he said. So we did that. <laughs> and, we, and so you had these kids with all these eggs. Oh, by the way, we're pretty smart, too. We found a company that sold them pre-filled. So we're not only smart, we're lazy, and we did the easy way up. So we had the lazy eggs, but the kids were coming over. I said, oh, did you find some eggs? Yeah, they're big old smiles, they're honey. And the look on their face for these kids that were, they were just so excited about finding these plastic eggs. And their eye, and their smile, and they're, ha, ha, ha. Can you picture that? You remember that, right? But there was one kid yesterday. One kid who, um, I don't know who he is. I don't know him, and if he's here, I'm not trying to call you out, but, but from what I was told, uh, was very overwhelmed by the crowd. Just, just it's a lot of people there. It's a lot of movement, and and sometimes you know, you get overwhelmed when you're in a crowd. And he was overwhelmed, and he was a little, little bit. I think they were a little late. Had some deal, things they were dealing with the family. And when they get there, the egg. I mean, it started. And if you're there at 1.8 minutes in a 2.8 minute search, you're not getting anything. And sure enough, out of 5,600 eggs, this child had none. Everybody, just the collective awe right there. There it was. Yeah. yeah. And you can picture this kid, and, and immediately he, he tears up, starts crying, which means mom starts crying. And others are, I mean, what are you going to do? Now, it, it's a sad, but I'm looking at this. Here's a kid who, he wanted to find the prize, but he, didn't, he walked away with nothing. He didn't get it. Just a little late. I will give you, I'll give you the rest of the story because everybody's like, oh, you sorry church people. Why didn't, you have like can- Why didn't you have like candy in your pocket for the kid? No, we just wanted an illustration. So we set this up and no. For, I didn't even know this was happening. I found out later that, that two or three of the other kids uh, who are regular attenders here, um, they're, well, I don't know if they initiated it. Their mothers may have, but we're going to give the kids the credit. They divided up their eggs and they gave this young man some eggs. So, so he, he ended up with eggs and he was happy and mom was happy and it may have been a better story to end up that way anyway, but to go that that total heel turn on the emotions of total despair because I didn't get the prize to oh look I got the prize and it's all about wanting to find something hoping hoping you get there well here we are on Easter Sunday I don't know if you realize this and this may be a spoiler alert but Jesus comes back to life if you didn't know the rest of the story so he dies on a cross he comes back to life I think we already sang about that he is still alive and yet, the thing about Easter is, like I said last week, these are the stories that whether you attend church regularly or you don't attend church all the time, this is kind of you know, something you don't do regularly, you, you probably know the story. And so the story is known, you've heard it, blah, 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 Easter, Jesus comes back to life. But I'm hoping, I'm not going to try to add anything to it, there's no, nothing, I don't have to make it say anything, it doesn't already say, this is a powerful, powerful story. So I want to take you to Luke 24, and I want us to focus on this today. Jesus is alive. Jesus, this Easter Resurrection Sunday is a celebration of life. But it's also a celebration of death. And the death that we are celebrating today, if you get it, it it makes a whole lot of sense. We are celebrating the death of hopelessness. We are celebrating the death of meaninglessness. We're celebrating the, the, the elimination of of hoping something works out and it never does because Christ shows up and he erases all that. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has already been killed, 
He's already been crucified. He's put on the cross by the Romans. It was a sham of a trial. God, God's intention, this was why he was born. This is why he came. He comes to, to die intentionally as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity. And that has happened. And, and it's a dark day for his followers. I mean, you've given at least three years of your life following this guy. You've watched him walk on water. You've seen him heal dead people. You've seen miracle after miracle. You've heard him tell about the death and the resurrection. You never really got it. And now you're on Sunday morning and uh, you're hiding out because it's hopeless, because the one you gave your life to isn't here anymore. That's what they're feeling. And Luke 24 just kind of kind of blows this up. In verse 1, let me read this to you. We'll read the first 12 verses. On the first day of the week, early dawn, they, meaning the ladies, now it's not even the male, male disciples, these are the women who had delayed preparing Jesus' body for burial because the Sabbath is the pre- previous day. So early on the first day of the week, they go to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but while they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, that's the disciples that remain, and to all the rest, the followers that were with him. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, now I'm going to try to be very brief here because I I, I know you know the story, but let's just think of it this way. You've got this tomb. Now, I see a lot of pictures on church websites today and on Christians' websites and Facebook pages and Instagrams and Twitters of empty tombs. And some of them are really cool and some of them aren't. And some of them are a really good actual photograph of a tomb. And I look at that and every time I see it and I say, I know where that tomb is. It looks like the tomb of Jesus. It's from the time of Jesus. It is in Israel. It's just north of Tel Aviv off the interstate. It's not Jesus' tomb. How do I know this? Because I've been there. I look at this picture and I go, that looks really cool. There's a stone in front of it. And, and here's the gross thing. We pulled off the side of the road, ran over, and got inside it. Yeah, we're playing in a tomb. That's weird. But we did because it looks just like the biblical version. The archaeologists dug it up when they were building the major road and thoroughfare there in that part of Israel. And it looks just like it. Now, there's nothing in there. But if you can picture that first century tomb... We do believe we know where the tomb of Jesus is. There are at least two official places in Jerusalem for everything in the Bible. Just so you know. This group says it happened here, and this group says it happened here. Here's the great thing. I've been to all those sites that are claiming to be where Jesus was buried. I've noticed something very consistent with every one of them. They're empty. There's nobody in them. And to make sure you understand the concept of the grave, now we talk about graves and we talk about cemeteries, and they look a lot different in Western culture than they do in the first century Jewish culture. It's a very rocky area. This tomb that we're talking about is actually a cave that was kind of in the mountainside. They carved it out, and inside the cave, it was a family tomb, kind of like a mausoleum. And you would have these these, uh, shelves in there where the body would lay. 
And so Jesus is taken into this tomb. It's not his. He doesn't have a tomb. It belongs to a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. No one in his family has died yet to be placed in this family tomb. So Jesus is the first one, maybe the only one to ever be placed in there. So his body is placed in there after he is fully dead off that cross. And the shelf is there. And he's laid there and he's got a cloth laying over him. And what would happen in the first century when Jewish families in these tombs that had the funding to do this, they would put their family member in there, then they would anoint them with the spices and the oils, prepare them for burial, even though they're not going underground at that point, and then they would wait, and as the body would eventually decompose, they would come back, and this is not to be gross, this is just how it was done, it was done in honor, and it was done righteously, they would take the bones of those dead family members, and they would gather them in a very, very... um, very holy way, I mean, it, not, not ram, ramshackle, they would do it the right way, and they would place those bones in a box called an ossuary, it's like a little casket about this big, right? And it's the size of the largest bone on the human body, so it'd be this size, that's the bone, and they would place the bones in there, then they would seal the top of the bones, and in the back of the tomb are shelves, normally. And as more and more family members pass away, they lay there, they wait, They collect the body after the decomposition. They put the bones in the bone box. They seal the bone box and they put the bone box on the shelf. So you literally could have a tomb with generation after generation after generation of family members who have passed. Jesus is in a tomb. Nobody else is in that tomb. No other bodies are there. No bones are in bone boxes on the back shelf. It's just Jesus' body. So when these ladies show up this day, they have an expectation They are expecting to get there. They'll figure out how to get the tomb open first once they arrive. Maybe they'll get the Roman soldiers. Maybe they'll all work together. They'll roll that stone out from in front of the door. Then they will go in and they will begin to apply and anoint the spices and the oils on the body in preparation for the burial. But when they arrive, it is not the way they expected. You need to remember this. If they're running there not to say, oh, let's go see if he's resurrected. That's not on their mind. What's on their mind? Dead Jesus, whom we loved, we need to do, the right, do right by Him. We need to do right by Him. We need to take care of this body. And, and in their fear, now should they be afraid? Why shouldn't they be afraid? An enemy of the state was crucified and put in a borrowed tomb. If you know and are related to and are a friend of the enemy of the state and you show up, there's a chance they might get you too. But they didn't care. Because the righteous and the right thing to do was to take care of this body. So they show up. Lo and behold, They go in. Nothing there. Nobody there. I don't know what would cross your mind. I know what would cross my mind. And what would cross my mind is not, oh good, he's come back to life. What would cross my mind is somebody stole his body. They said they were going to do this. This is the rumor that that somebody stole his body. They're trying to discredit us. Now there are people today, there are people who are self-proclaimed smart people today who declare that Jesus never really died and rose again, but that the disciples That was the rumor, right? That's even what Pilate said. We'll just share that. That the disciples got his body, they hid it, and they made up the story about the resurrection. There are people that buy that. It takes more faith to believe that than to believe what we believe about his resurrection. You know, Chuck Colson, for years, I don't know if you remember Chuck. Chuck has since passed away, but Chuck was a... uh, Founder of, uh, let me see if I can pull this up, this quote. He is the founder of Prison Fellowship. Before he was a believer and and an apologist and and a deep thinker about things of Christianity and the faith, he was an agnostic, atheist, didn't believe in the church, didn't like the church, and was by his own definition just a really bad dude. And for those of you that are of the age to remember a guy named Richard Nixon, 
He worked for Nixon when Nixon was in the Watergate scandal, and Colson was the hatchet man. He's just a bad guy. Here's Colson's quote in an interview about whether or not he believed in the resurrection. Here's what Colson said well, a number of years ago now. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for over 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. Some were killed. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And we couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles couldn't keep a, could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now for some of you who need to Google Richard Nixon and Watergate, we'll talk later. But for those that are my age and older, you got it. You see what we're talking about. You can't keep the lie, right? And so, so, so here these ladies show up to the tomb. No other bodies there, just looking for Jesus' dead body. But then they say, they're, they're all depressed. They're probably frustrated. They're, they're afraid. I imagine they're angry if they even contemplate the possibility that somebody stole his body. They're angry. And then two men appear and they say this to them. And here's the paraphrase. Why are you even looking here? Why? Who in their right mind would look for a living person in a cemetery? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And isn't that the message? Isn't that the message? I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for a purpose. I'm looking for something in my life. And you know what happens in the... In the it's no different, no different in the 21st century than it was in the first. People are looking for meaning in life in all aspects. They change the rules. They change the... We talked about this for the past few weeks. They will redefine morality. They will look for hope. And they will look for meaning um, in relationships, in self-awareness, in self-focus. It's all about self. They're going to look. They're going to look. They're going to look. And some just keep looking their entire life and they discover they've not found it. They can't find it. You see this story, and you realize here are some women that are just kind of going through the motions and doing what they're supposed to do, and they find the unexpected. They discover at a place where dead bodies are supposed to be, are angels saying, you shouldn't even be here because the Jesus you're looking for isn't dead. You see, when Jesus shows up in cemeteries, he messes up with people. He messes with people. Remember the crazy naked guy that lived in the cemetery? And scared people to death. Do you not know this story? And for those that are not used to this story, this will force you to go Google Bible stories. Crazy naked guy living in a cemetery. I'm going to tell you, we didn't have flannel graph of that story when I was in vacation Bible school. Veggie tales never went there. So Google it, read your own Bible. Jesus takes his guys that go across the lake. There's a crazy naked guy living in a cemetery, demon-possessed, chains on him. They keep breaking the chains. The townspeople are afraid of him. Jesus makes a special trip to him. And I'll just make it very quick. He rescues the guy from the evil that is within him and gives him life. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go back on the other side of the lake where all the Jewish people are because now I've got to go back there. This guy says, but I'm a Gentile. Can I go with you? He says, no, you can't. You need to stay here. But he doesn't stay and live in the cemetery. You know why he doesn't stay in the cemetery? Because living people don't live in cemeteries. And he was dead before he met Jesus. But when he met Jesus, he was brought to life from the inside out. Well, 
I'm not going to read the rest here, but st- Jesus in, in, in this resurrection, the, uh, the, the ladies go back, they find the disciples and say, you won't imagine what happened. And, uh, and they didn't believe him. I mean, who would? But Peter says, because there's always that guy in the room. They probably went to the wrong tomb. I'm going to go check. So he leaves. He runs, finds the very same thing. And now all of a sudden, the story's becoming very clear. And let, 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 me just, let, me, let me just leave it like this. There are people always searching. Searching for something, searching for someone, searching for meaning, searching for hope. They get behind something. I mean, I mean we just click the news every day. There are, there are people groups all over our nation that are, that are man, we're lining up, we're protesting protests. That's what I'm going to start protesting. We're going to have a protest next week against protest. I don't know if you want to join me in that. We're going to march against marches. Because apparently we really like just being angry about everything, and if we just get behind the right thing, we can find meaning in our life, and now we matter. But you don't. <laughs> because they're looking in the wrong place. You know, it's like the old joke, the old story about the guy that was at the street corner under the light looking in the yard, and, and a guy, old boy, comes up to him and says, what are you looking for? He says, I lost my keys. And so he gets down, and they start looking together, and the guy goes, man, I don't see him. Are you sure you lost him here? He goes, oh, no, I didn't lose him here. I lost him over there, but the light's better here. The point is that we tend to look in the wrong place for the right thing over and over again. And if you're looking for life, you're not going to find it in a cemetery. If you're looking for life, you're not going to find it in death. You're going to have to find it in the one that is alive. And that's the one we've sung about today. That's what we continue to point to, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's the point of Easter. Easter is a celebration of life, but it is also a celebration of death. It is the death of hopelessness. It is the death of meaninglessness. It is the death of religious routine. It is the death of legalism. It is the birth and the resurrection of true life. Some of you are here today, and may, I'll just be honest, because it, it just percentage-wise in a crowd this size at one of our four gatherings this morning, there are people that are gathering who are feeling on the inside hopeless and empty. They are trying, I mean, maybe it's you, I don't know, but you're here. I mean, you're here for some reason. I don't know why you're here. Maybe just one last chance. And some of you are here. Let's just be, let's just be really honest. Some of you are here, and to be honest, church doesn't matter to you. In fact, you could take it or leave it and would rather leave it, and you left it more than you ever took it. You're here because you have a friend who invited you. You don't believe in the church. You don't believe in God. There's more doubt than, than faith in you. And and you're a, little, you're a little confused as to why you even did it. But why did you come? You came because you have a friend that invited you. And because you love them, you came. And maybe you're going to spend the rest of the day together. You're going to do lunch together. That's a wonderful thing. And we're okay with it. I'm glad you're here. Some of you are here because your family makes you come. Some of you wake up. You don't believe in God. You're questioning your faith. You're in the midst of a crisis of belief. You may have even been raised in the church. But because you don't pay the bills and you don't drive the car, you had to come. I don't know how, that's a story of many that have grown up in church. But you're here. And you know what? A lot of us came today not looking for much. And yet some of you came hoping for something. Do you know where you find 7.44 carat diamonds? You find them in Arkansas in a diamond mine. You know where you don't find them? Anywhere else in Arkansas, or Tennessee, or Alabama, or Florida. You're just not going to find it. You're not going to find that where they don't exist. You know where you're going to find hope? 
in Jesus Christ and Him alone. You know we're not going to find it? In a relationship, in a club, in a movement, in a protest, in anything else. You're, you're just not going to find it. But maybe this is the question. Because we always say, man, you ever, talk, you ever heard this phrase? Man, he found religion. He found Jesus. There are so many people looking for something. Could it be, could it be this, that this is possible? That it's less about you trying to find Jesus and more about him finding you. Maybe you're the egg hidden in the yard. Because the scripture is pretty clear that Jesus isn't lost. But that he has come to seek and to save those who are. And when humanity wraps religion around all of our preconceived ideas of what ought to be and what fairness is and then rewrites and changes morality and boundaries shift, man, no wonder we're messed up and confused and hopelessness reigns. So maybe today, maybe today, in the midst of just being present, you didn't see it coming, but God found you. And He's going to offer you something. He's offering you hope. He's offering you meaning. He's offering you life. You know, one of the frustrating things about egg hunts is that there always seems to be one left in the field somewhere. When our kids were little, we would hide eggs in the backyard. And then they would come give them all back to me and say, let's do it again. And as a dad, can I just say, I hated that. (laughs) But I would because I'm a dad. Dads do things they hate because they love their kids. So I would hide the eggs and I would look back and they're peeking out the window watching me hide the eggs. I said, this is, what is this game? What is, what are we doing here? What is this all about? And I would hide them. We would count them at the end. And I don't know, I'm still convinced that even to this day, there is still an egg out there somewhere. Because that one year, it did not add up. I have no idea where it is. But here's the great thing. Our God knows exactly where you are. And He orchestrated and moved time and space and did everything necessary to get you to the place of being found. Will you just say yes to Him?